I'm recording and that means we've started. Hello, welcome to a very special Riot Act with me, Stephen Hill. Not with, usually I'm with Renfrew Deadman. He's not here today, but I'm delighted and honoured to be joined by my good friend, Will Gould from Creeper. How are you doing, Will? Nice to see you, buddy. Mate, it's lovely to see you, Steve. I am doing very well. It's, uh, as I was just saying, it's, it's been a very manic time for me at the moment. It's uh, trying to put a record out in the middle of a uh, global pandemic. It's, uh, it's been... <laughs> As uh, you know, as complicated as you can probably imagine, but uh, but yeah, it's been it's been it's been cool. It's it's uh, kind of a relief knowing that it's kind of coming out now uh, after it was put back a little while and everything. So mm. just working all the time, working nonstop, but it's all good. It's, it's chatting about things I like to talk about, so that's good. Well, mate, I was just saying before we started actually recording that we're going to try and make this like sort of mufty day at school rather than it being work. This is going to be this is going to be fun. Will I'm going to try and make it fun. And to be fair to you, of all the musicians who have been doing various things over this lockdown period, you look like you've been having the most fun. You've been doing stories on your Instagram, um, doing poetry, all kinds of stuff. How's sort of as a as a creative person? How's being kind of locked down and trying to find something creative to do been treating you? Well, I think that like I, I when I've been asked this before. Uh, I've always said the same thing, but I think actually in this instance, you can probably relate to this uh, more than you realise, you know, coming from DIY punk, you're kind of used to making something out of nothing, like mm. that's how you start out with, the, the whole idea is that you're going on stage and uh, you guys can barely play your instruments and you're just kind of making it work, you're kind of using the tools around you, a limited toolbox is always uh, what you have when you're, when you're doing uh, music in, in, in DIY punk, you know. You never mm. had the best drummer, you never had the best guitar players, you never had the best singer, and, and so you just kind of make something out of nothing. Half the gigs I used to book were just like shows in the King Alfred's pub upstairs with like the, that, that awful PA that I used to have cut around, and <laughs> I'd make a, uh, make a big chilli, and you know, like I was saying this is the exact same thing the other day, but it's like, that's kind of what this is like. It's not that startling for me, because I'm like, oh, you you know the the the, the palette uh, the, the the toolbox has just been reducted quite quite a lot and and all we got yeah. is a little less to play with but you can still do just as as much creativity and and just just be just as uh, adventurous with the fewer tools as you can with many uh, if, if you've got the imagination for it so I've tried to I try to approach it like that and I think coming from the scene we've come from has really helped with that too yeah I mean you're dead right I think I think there will be certain people who. I mean, we were talking about this with pop artists the other day, how people need so much in way of different producers and other songwriters and stuff. And I just think if you were someone who was quite creative, but you were used to kind of leaning on people, that's got to be a really difficult thing to be sort of hold up in your apartment or your, well, or your mansion, if you happen to be (laughs) super, super duper successful. But um, yeah, like you say, the beauty of, you know, a band like Creeper is, I think you, you know, you've always sort of had ambition to do big things, no matter what the budget is, no matter what the amount of people watching are. Um, I think that's, you know, obviously, and that, that kind of shows through in the sort of stuff that you've been doing whilst this lockdown period's been happening as well. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I like to think that uh, Creeper kind of flourishes when we're in the shit, you know, mm-hmm. like like that. that's that's kind of like where we're most, com- most comfortable. And every time we have a little bit of like kind of... Uh, success in a, in a bigger scale we always tend to mess that up a bit somehow uh, like it's, it's always we're always better when we're fighting against it a little bit um yeah. but i know what you mean about uh, bands one of the things i hear quite a lot from people who work in, in the record industry like in like uh, major labels and things is that a band gets signed uh and they think that's the that's the 
the finish line. They've done it. And uh, yeah. they come in and, they, and then, then the bad label go, okay, cool. So we've got X amount of money to make a video with. What do you want to do? And they go, oh, I thought you would come up with that. And then, so then the record label are coming up with the ideas for this. Look, my, the things that irk me the most about doing Creeper is when someone insinuates that I've uh, got someone coming up with my marketing ideas for me. Because uh, we have great marketing people, uh, uh, they're 100%, but everything that comes out of Creeper comes from us, uh, every single thing. And that's why you don't get other major label bands kind of doing an elaborate treasure hunt through, uh, you know, like, like through a, a 70s text-based computer game. You know, like that, that you don't yeah. get that because... We're building this stuff ourselves. We still approach it in a DIY way. Uh, that's kind of how we always have. And, um, and I well, think that, that's the way it should be. That's the way you should be. It's, it's, that's how all the good bands were, you know? Yeah, like, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I think any marketing person that suggested to a major label band that they do some of the things that you guys have done, he probably wouldn't last very long in his job because <laughs> it feels like a lot yeah. of fucking hard work just to get off the shit that you guys have even attempted to do started. But... Um, Anyway, we will talk about stuff like this a little bit later. I want to go back to the 1st of November 2018, Will. I'm sure you know what that date represents. Um, you split up that night, didn't you? At Coco. Yeah. Uh, well, it was the end of the band, uh, mm. like as you knew it. Um, it was the, the, end of, um, the end of that whole chapter. And th- that chapter had spanned five years, you know. Like, uh, and the band will never be that same band again. Like, like it, it, it really did die in a way. And there were times I didn't even think the second in, uh, incarnation of the band would even resurface. Mm. I felt like, the, like there was times over the course of that year that followed the, the Coco show where I genuinely felt like that was it. Even though we had planned for this rebirth, it, it felt like the world was kind of had a, sta- a, a deck stacked against us in lots of ways. But coming to that point, we'd, we'd, we'd already done, uh, when, we, when we launched into the album, um, we launched with this elaborate uh, marketing campaign that we devised. It was based on the, if you recall, I spoke to you about this quite a lot at the time, I remember, about the, uh, the Blair Witch Project and, yeah. uh, and how that was marketed. And, and, and we were riffing off lots of how our favourite horror films were marketed with mm. kind of blending reality and fiction so you couldn't really quite see what was what. That's when like, a lot of the 90s stuff in me it, like, comes out because that's what the, the 90s did so well. Especially in like professional wrestling, kind of uh, merging the two, Jerry Springer, you know what's scripted, what's not. That and that that's what that was the pop culture I grew up kind of ingesting and, and and being around. And so it was a lot of those sorts of tricks. But when we came to the end of the campaign, I knew it had to end uh, in the way it was it was going to. I knew that whatever we did after was going to be a very elaborate uh, elaborate affair to get right, and that we would walk a line with it and. That it was that it, it it would be something really creative and, and look at it in a completely different shape. So I felt like the the, the, the Ziggy homage made complete sense, and uh, and performing the ultimate vanishing act on stage while the audience was still in the room, and then they, even when they when the video had finished, they ran down to the side. The band was just completely gone. Mm. I felt like that was uh, a, a great way to end it with a great piece of like like theatre on stage and and, and a moment. Um, so yeah, it, it was really it was quite quite a lot more. Um, Shocking than you than you realise though you know like you, more than you think it, it was uh, you put the jackets down um, which we'd taken from the Undertaker at WrestleMania leaving his gloves and his hat in the ring uh, you know like we, we were riffing on we're always riffing on pop culture stuff all the time mm. and uh, like but doing that and then leaving behind something like a, an emblem that had been like our uh, like it, it'd been our mission statement from the offset in a way 
and we'd uh, we'd taken it around the world with us. You know, it, it'd been a, with me at every every great amazing moment on a show. Every moment when I was frustrated and, and, and angry in the rain, just making a cigarette outside. Every time uh, anything had happened with the band, that was with us. And then we were leaving it and, and choosing to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. When everybody in the world was telling us not to. Um, I remember like doing um, meetings and things and people trying to talk me around from, from ditching the band and killing it off in the way we, we had. Like, uh, like trying to stop us from killing the logo off and killing the callus up. But like, as soon as you start seeing it as a logo anyway... You've got a complete lack of understanding of, as to what the band's doing with it in the first place. As yes. soon as you see it as a logo, you, you don't understand anyway. And so we're not speaking the same language. It's not a logo. This is like a symbol. This is like a... It meant a lot more than just a logo. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was weird. It was uh, euphoric. It was uh, harrowing. It was scary. It was a, a panic in the room. And, uh, and yeah, like then, then uh, what ensued was a year of social media hiatus. Um, which is one of the healthiest, the healthiest things you can do. But unfortunately, it was happening in a very chaotic time. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was going to ask you if, even with all that in mind, even going into that show, knowing that you were going to do that, and the kind of trepidation. I mean, you know, we've, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot more than me, but I've seen tons of people with that, that you know, that callous heart tattooed on them. I, you know, you guys have an incredibly passionate, loyal fan base a really hardened fan base um did you anticipate just how because i, I you know i i couldn't go to the show I, I had to review another gig that night i can't remember what it was but i couldn't go to the show but on twitter the next day and straight after the show i was just like oh my god people are losing their fucking mind and i think maybe a lot of them weren't aware of the homages that you were making i mean maybe some of them weren't familiar with the Ziggy Stardust thing or, or whatever. But once it had happened, did you look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's what I expected people to do? Because that was a serious, serious reaction that you guys got to doing that. Yeah, I, I don't think it was really like, like, like in my mind, I didn't really know how people were going to react. Um, and this is one of the things in that podcast you've just done. One of the things that I was saying there was like, you know, I felt like I knew what was going to happen. And I felt like I had more insight than anyone because I orchestrated the whole thing. Uh, but I didn't, have, I, I, I didn't have any idea what was going on. I had no idea how that was going to blow up and what was going to happen with that. But what we were trying to do is kind of almost time capsule that, the callous heart. That can, yeah. can't be tarnished anymore. It can't be tarnished by um, anything, by like a bad show, us getting old and, like, you know, and, 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 and still wearing that patch on the stage. It's locked in a time frame now. Like, like you have that. Every time you see a photo of us wearing that, that, that careless heart patch, uh, you know that that was from that time, and it was never tarnished, it was never ruined, it was, it was kept yeah. safe. And, uh, so that was what the, one of the ideas was, but the really visceral reaction from some fans, like uh, really aggressiveness in some people, and I understand, I've grown to understand a lot more that sort of, um, sort of behaviour, but I, I, I don't know, for me... It was completely the right move and all, like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I created that, so I had the right to destroy it as well. And I think that, like, that, that was the right time to do it. Like, um, the fact that you can go to a Creeper show and you never know when we're doing those big headline shows what's going to happen. Every time uh, we try to catch people off guard, we're, we're investing yeah. our money into making these shows spectacular every time. 
why would you go and see another band in town uh, like next time round? It like like you know at the end of this campaign because you know like 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 because what are we going to do? You know like that. That's what I want it to be like. I want it to be like when we go through up in Manchester, people go, what are they going to do when, when we're traveling around the place? I just I like the idea of that unpredictability and and and, uh, and seeing a spectacle. I think that. Um, that was one of the things that we were the, one, the, the things that Creeper needed to do back in uh, when we first started was just trying to put spectacle and, and theatricality and pomp back into into punk rock and mystery and things and uh, so yeah it, it, it was a really really crazy night it feels like a lifetime ago now um, mm, almost like a dream uh, yeah but like uh, and I've been on quite a journey since then it, um, you know re-emerging uh, a year to the day like my life would completely change by the time we we, we come back uh, but from um, November first. My entire world was upside down. I was living in a completely different city, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, me and my girlfriend had broke up, and I was with Charlotte, and uh, you know, I, I made a record in Los Angeles. I'd been through the most difficult year of my life in terms of Ian Miles' mental health, and we were just a completely different setup. It was uh, a very trialing time, but like in a weird way, these things kind of happen. I, I, I hate to say it because it sounds so corny, but these things kind of happen for a reason sometimes, and mm. we needed to kill that band off. And by cutting that off, we literally allowed ourselves uh, a cleansing of the palate to be able to make something new out of all of the things that were happening around us. And it, and it wasn't in the same form. It was something new and fresh and, and exciting for us. And that helped us you know, retain that conviction of playing every night and, and being excited about music and stuff again, you know? Yeah. I think you need to do that. I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying. I mean, both of us, we bumped into each other at a gig. I think it was the Employed to Serve show at the Garage. Yes, which yeah, is yeah. About kind of five months later, we went for a drink and we were both in a position where I think both of our lives had changed quite a lot and we were both sort of going, it's pretty weird, this, right, isn't it? It's kind of weird. And I did at the time, I did at the time kind of wonder, I mean, you know, I don't do much really, but you, I was like, how is this going to sort of filter into the next iteration of what Creep had become? And I think... I remember speaking to you at the time and I felt like it was one of the only times I'd spoken to you where I thought maybe you didn't quite know what was going to happen because when shit like that goes down, all the things that you just mentioned, and obviously we don't want to get too much into each other's personal lives or whatever, but you do kind of go, I don't really know. This is, you get shaken and you you have to sort of reappraise every single thing that you've ever thought about doing at that time, don't you? Well, it's weird, isn't it? Like, I, f- I feel like it's almost like a, you know the the, uh, the the tortoise going into its shell, and you want to mm. like kind of just just hide under a rock for a while. And, and I was allowed this massive rock, this massive thing to hide under, which was this year off, um, to work everything out, to to kind of get the confidence to go out and and be on stage again and 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 talk about this sort of thing, you know, like a which for a long time was just absolutely not going to happen. Like especially with the stuff with the uh, with Ian and. Um, and you know my mom, my mother's partner dying so quickly. We, we, we like like she she died the day he he died the day before um, Ian got sectioned, and mm. uh, so it was all very very traumatic, uh, all very very quick and um, quite shocking. Like um, it was quite uh, it, it, it really um, it really shocked me uh, what had happened. But I felt like we we said this record's cursed quite a few times. We've gone this mm. is a cursed record. This is uh, something that uh, we. We felt like it was like The Exorcist or something, you know, that movie where everything, like everyone who touched it was cursed, or like a, a, a Pharaoh's tomb. The curses kind of leads its way yeah. and everyone. And um, and yeah, like that. Unfortunately, that's kind of how um, this was. Like everybody who seemed to come into contact with this record seemed to 
seemed to be caught by this curse. And, and some of us got stung twice. Uh, it, but, like, our producer, Zandy, was going through his massive divorce. And, uh, uh, like, it was the, the, the recording plant that pressed the record burnt to the ground after it was, it was pressed out in California. And uh, the, the cello player from the orchestra that plays on it, like, um, broke his leg on the morning of the, of, of the, 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 the day we were supposed to re- record. And then uh, Graham Humphreys, who does all the poster art for us, um, fell down an escalator and was hospitalised when he, when he got sent the brief. It was just like one of those weird myths that, uh, yeah. like, that seemed to constantly like, realise itself. And, uh, oh, man, it was exhausting. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole thing was strange. I didn't, there, were, there are definitely times where I was, I was uh, very concerned about um, what to do. I knew I was making um, really good music and I knew that I had some really good ideas. But the, the, it's so much more than just that with Creeper. It's not just a record we're throwing together with some artwork and we're just bashing it out. These, mm. these records take like a huge chunk of, um, of my energy in my life. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it was quite concerning, a lot of that. It was, um, it was a worrying time when I saw you in London that day. It was, yeah. I think, it, I think we both sort of went, oh, it's been brutal. Man. I know. Um, yeah, but anyway where we are now the album's fucking great which we should say thank you very much the album's fucking great it's called sex death and the infinite void um it should be going out if you're watching this youtube or listen to the podcast on the day it comes out the album's out tomorrow i believe as we're recording this um and i mean (laughs) i i didn't really know what to expect from the record i've sort of deliberately over the last year or so thought when a band released one single or one song from an album if i'm really invested in them i'll listen to one song but i've kind of deliberately tried to avoid listening to sort of three or four songs if a band release them in advance because i want to listen to the album and particularly for a band like you guys i want to listen to the album in its entirety and i've been sort of slamming the album for about a week now and there are reference points on it which i just never ever ever would have thought were ever going to come up um what where's this record come from musically will if you don't mind me asking well it all started uh from like uh we wanted to make this american record the whole the whole thing started off with wanting to make an american record it was this kind of fantasy i had i think uh uh of going out to i was like you know it got to the point with creeper where we got so far away from the diy scene uh, and and how funny was it that me and ian miles who used to write songs in like a in his mum's shed, uh, were now going to be in Hollywood making a record. <laughs> and so uh, we, like, we, we decided that was, that was funny and that was like, uh, it, it, it was a story, you know, like, like it was a cool thing to do and it kind of had a, uh, because we'd spent so much time travelling around America, it really made sense to, to make the record in the places we've been since our first one. So I started pulling out records and uh, like listening to stuff that I felt like would make, what, what, what do I think is... Uh, it's classic Americana to, to, to me. And, and like, you know, think about that yourself, ponder that question for a second. So obviously there's Bruce Springsteen and uh, like, like all, all that stuff, like, like that 100% those records are like very present on this album. And you could probably say like the Eagles and things like that too. But like more so, like I think like the Phil Spector records that I've mentioned, I talked to you about in the past, like being yeah, into yeah. The Phil Spector. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, Roy Orbison and, and, and country music and, and, and uh, especially that, that kind of the, 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 the Leonard Cohen's of the world, you know, the, the, the baritone, that big baritone over the top kind of Las Vegas 
uh, Elvis sort of thing. Uh, like, yeah. we, so, we, so, we, so we had all this kind of, this real spectrum of stuff that I pulled out that I felt like, well, these, these kind of work. But as I got going, working through that stuff, I, I quickly realised we're missing key bits here. This doesn't tell our story properly. This is just an American record, you know. Um, and I realised the way to get to this American sound was to, to, to see it through the lens of what's actually going on, that, that kind of, uh, what, what we've been speaking about, the fiction dosed with the reality. And, and so I started looking back, like one time it was in this diner, I uh, really frustrated, I couldn't find, a, I couldn't find the, the, the magic that I needed, and T-Rex came on. And I went, this, this, is, this is my band. Like, 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 this is, oh, I've grown up with this music, 70s, I'm not the Hoople and David Bowie and T-Rex was always the stuff I grew up with. Yeah. And so then I was like, this, this stuff is, 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 it will work perfectly. What would happen if, you know, what, David Bowie came out here and made a record, you know, like, uh, like back in the 70s. And, and you know, uh, like the Rolling Stones and bands like that, this is, this is the land where, they, you know, where records are made for, for, for bands like that. So I started getting really into that, pulling from all this stuff, and then going, uh, all this rock and roll and stuff as well. Uh, and then I started thinking as well about some more current stuff and more things that were inherently British that I felt like were really uh, really good reference points. So that's when the Britpop came into it. And when all the Britpop came into it, like the thing about Britpop is it's, there's so much glam rock and 70s rock and roll in yeah. Britpop. Yeah. Uh, like there's, there's, it's just everywhere. Like, you know, um, uh, Stand By Me, the Oasis song, is, it, uh, you know, it's quite famously all the young dudes. It's the same, you know? Mm. Instead of all the young dudes, it's stand by me, nobody knows, you know. Uh, so, like, it's the yeah. same. Yeah, it's, it's, the, <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's the same thing as all the young dudes. It's exactly the same thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and the Beatles and things like that before them as well. That, that's mm -hmm. kind of so. So I was like, okay, so let's take this and try and start start putting this. Um, let's try and start seeing seeing some of these Britpop records and uh, from, through this uh, American lens. There was a. There's the Swage uh, reference point. It was a massive, obvious one with Annabelle for the first kind of five yeah. seconds or so. But, the, but uh, one of the engineers we were using in, um, in England, uh, a bloke called Rich, uh, who he'd, he'd worked on that Swage record, uh, you know? So, like, we had this, this English engineer who we would record bits with and send them back to L.A., who had made that record. He'd been a part of it. It was an engineer on, on the Swade record, that the, the very one that we were referencing and tipping our hats to. So it was, like, perfect, you know? Like, it was weird. Yeah. Um, and then we had Zandi, who would, who would bring in, like, you know, members of the Philharmonic Orchestra to, to, to record orchestral parts on top of these songs and, and add that kind of sheen and that slick production. Um, we've got, like, Nancy Sinatra and, uh, like, kind of style duets on this record with, with Hannah. And, uh, mm. you know, these are classic American tropes, like, these really over-the-top things. Um, and then there's that kind of, like, tempered with that kind of inherent Britishness of the, the bands that are uh, referenced. But there's really been so many different parts of that you know there's so much kind of noir to this record with like you know the chris isaacs of the world um the uh the, the big the heavy pulp leaning on on a lot of the vocal uh like that, that like there's these, these things that are interacting with each other on this record these like like a uh, an american uh production sound like where it's all guns blazing really over the top and then uh Something, something else that's that's very, very typically English, like, like like a riff or something that's very uh, that would make much more sense on one of those uh, bit pop records. So yeah, it's a real kind of juggling act of of things, and it took a while to kind of get the the you know the parts right to make sure we were like uh, getting getting it equal and it was balanced, you know. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I noticed the Britpop stuff 
I mean, it's funny that it's, it's been done that way around because I noticed the Britpop stuff. I mean, I've got my notes in front of me and I've put Suede Pulp, The Divine Comedy, The Long Pigs, The Auteurs, yep. even Space, right? Even like The Lightning Seeds at some points as well that I've I put down. Oh, 100%. Then, the Lightning Seeds, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, great. Like, again, like those 60s melodies, that like that, it's pure kind of brilliant British pop music from that kind of yeah it's the walker music. brothers and, and, yeah. and you know like like these are things that we were we've been ripping from uh quite heavily on a lot of these a lot of these records uh this 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 song this album even but then as i get kind of later onto it i've put down chris isaac and tom waits and even like yeah dan, and typo and danzig and stuff like that as well and that's the stuff that kind of came out and the ki- i actually put the ki- sam's town era the killers as well so that so, so that so i think what you're referencing here is is and, and the the two of them would be on the nose the typo and the killers uh would be probably on that song black moon yeah. uh where you've got the, 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 the in terms of the structure it's very sam's town and uh mm. the chorus is is basically like typo worship in it like in terms of you know like it's you know that was on purpose i was trying to do that like um and it, yeah, it, like that's that's really cool. You picked up on those things. Uh, that that song does those, those two things in the same song. Very cool. Yeah. It's cool you noticed yeah. all that, Steve. That's that's bad. Well, I mean, mate, I've like I said, I've had a, I've given a few listens, and it's just. Do you know what? I mean, I have to say, I've become a notorious sort of Britpop apologist over the last few years because when I was a kid, probably much like you, you know, it was the omnipresent thing, and I was into skate punk, and I was into you know, Machine Head, and whatever. And liking Britpop was like, no, 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 I can't, I can't like that. I can't like that. But as the years have gone on and it's become kind of less and less cool, and it, you know, it, it's kind of not really cool to name check the fucking lightning seeds in, t- in 2020. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not like a zeitgeisty cool thing to do. Um, I mean, I actually think that's quite a brave thing for you guys to, to go, we're going to do suede. Like who fucking who talks about suede in 2020? Not really anybody, but they were such a massive, massive band, such a definitive band of a definitive part of the history and and culture of of, of this country. And I, you know, I think it's I personally am delighted to to hear those references come up on a on a modern record. Man, that's fucking awesome. I I feel very similarly. I like it's, it's one of those things, you know, like. Even like pulp and stuff, when you hear that in a nightclub and you hear like mm. Disco 2000 or something come on, uh, and, and, and like that's that riff, and it's so like now is, is there's nothing really like that. It, that's like a kind of dead, I guess it's a disco song, I suppose, as well. Mm. But like um, Common People and, and all that different stuff, like, uh, like, like yeah. those big songs from um, different class, uh, that, that record's absolutely outrageous. It's such, mm. a, such an incredible record still to this day, it holds up so, so well. But yeah. Who's like? I guess there's not that many people kind of doing that stuff these days. It's kind of seen as a bit hokey, uh, maybe a little bit now. Um, I don't know. Jarvis Cocker has released an amazing new song recently, mm-hmm. um, which I, I absolutely loved. Uh, but yeah, the same with like uh, with um, it was it was it was Swade and, and those references. I think the reason that it related to me so much when I was younger was because my dad would play things that would, was not a million miles away from it in terms of from the seventies records. You know, yeah. like. Uh, the the, the the Bowie stuff is, is, is a massive leaning on that vocal, you know? Like, uh, if you think about the singles from the Suede records, um, 
what's the most famous uh, Suede songs? Uh, probably like um, The Beautiful Ones or something like that, you know? Animal Nitrate. You, you yeah. babies! Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, like an, Animal Nitrate. But like, that's, it's like, lots, lots of that's kind of, there's, there's massive parts, some of David Bowie in that, like like everywhere, like the, the falsetto vocal and it's, uh, how androgynous it, it, it was at the time as well yeah. with Brett being, really playing up to that. Really, really related to, to me. Like, I, I, I loved it. I absolutely got into it. There's an amazing footage of them playing an awards show. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, and then it's like, it's just when they're a four-piece. They're playing Animal Nitrate, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just amazing. Like, the, the, the way they performed, how out, out there, how camp it is. Just absolutely incredible. So, so good. It's a, I mean, it really is, like... I think it, what it proves is that, kind of, good music will endure. You know, because like you say, I, I, we've had, I mean, we spoke on the podcast before about Viva Brother, who were the sort of, you know, Britpop revivalists about 10 years ago. And it's just, you can't just paint the shell of Britpop. You can't just put on a, you know, a kicker's jumper and say Park Life and expect it to be, <laughs> you know, it to, it to kind of connect with people in the way that it did. And I think the fact that no one really, no one, aside from going, you know, weren't Oasis good? There's not really a lot of people that, that talk about, I mean, particularly, I think some of the more underrated albums. I mean, I was about to say um, Paradise sounds more like this is hardcore era. Yeah, 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 yeah. Than it does. That, sort of uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a classy, classy record, you know, but people don't really speak about that so much. Um, well, that, that one didn't, that, that record didn't have that many big singles on it. That's the thing. No. Like, that's why no one talks about this is hardcore. There are some, some amazing, uh, well-known songs from that record, but not... That's not the, what you think about when you think about when the general public thinks about pulp, you know, mm. like, uh, but this is funny what you said about that, because I completely agree. I think uh, the, the whole reason that the, the, the 70s stuff that was in Britpop to begin with didn't just seem like a 70s throwback was because it had other ideas in it as well. And, uh, yeah. you know, like, 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 like it was mixed. That, that's why Britpop stands alone and isn't just, oh, someone's done some 70s, you know, like, the, the, these are the, 70s rock kind of chord progressions and, and Beatlesy melodies and mm. and then, and that's you know it, it's just this it was his own thing because it was so there was so much to it so much else going on I think also about the Britpop thing you know like a band like the Bouncing Souls uh, like yeah. uh, like the, the, the Bouncing Souls kind of um, they do that uh, 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 Ole Ole you know like Ole Ole like it's, it's football songs and and a lot of the time like uh, the power I'm not a football guy I'm not a sports guy at all. But the power of a, a crowd of people being able to sing a chorus is undeniable. When you hear like a, a giant gang vocal chorus, like uh, it, it's it's amazing. And the Bouncing Souls do it throughout their records, um, yeah. and I think that's how I got to it in the first place. But the reason I think I like the probably like the Bouncing Souls as I got older was because we were, we were brought up brought up in the the era of the the, the biggest kind of football songs you, you ever had. You know how many times you know I remember Wonderwall coming out. You know like I was a kid, but like. And that is like, these, these are big songs that like universally can be sung. When we were trying to write a song like Annabelle, um, I, I wanted that chorus to feel like that. Something that, that anyone could sing, you know, that like, mm. what I love about a football crowd is when, they're, uh, when they have beef with a player, they can change the lyric to, 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 to be about the, the player that they hate or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, that's the power of that. Is, 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 if you can get something that everyone can sing, you know, it's the same reason, like, this is completely off topic, but... The same reason, like Robbie Williams, is like uh, was so successful, is because everyone can sing those songs. He, he, like, like he doesn't. He, he's not the most talented singer in the world. He's just a guy out there singing them, you know. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but like, and I think that's the magic of of, of um, there's some of the magic of Britpop and stuff as well. Is that anyone can sing it, 
and you can just be at a pub and it comes on and you're a bit pissed or you're at a wedding and your dad's singing it really loud <laughs> you know like one of those songs those yeah. massive things and I think that, that's the power of, of those pop songs too those Oasis songs for sure but Suede like also there's like you know Suede was different to Oasis in so many ways because uh, they they seemed like they were from the underworld a little bit more you know like they, they, they yeah. seemed like they, uh, they, they they didn't seem like your typical um you know, your, your typical kind of lads at, at the pub, you know, that they, they seemed like they had a bit more going on. Well, they were kind of the band who were um, sort of first in line for the for Britpop. They were kind of, I think they were kind of the first band that got people's attention. Whilst grunge was going on, no one really wanted to think about glam rock and guys in, you know, silky shirts and floppy hair <laughs> and stuff. It was all flannel and this is straight down the line and it's happening and grunge is grunge and we're, we're stripping everything back. And then Brett Anderson comes along, this kind of a fet, oh, God. you know, like high voice, pro, you know, kind of cut from the same he's... cloth as someone like Morrissey. And it's just... What you, you were saying just now was about, um, about Britpop and about, you know, uh, what Brett was wearing on stage and... Mm. Um, and I guess, like, the thing about that is, uh, in, like, like uh, to start this question again, I suppose, um, in regards to the, the, kind of the fashion element of it, this happens every single time. It happened with glam rock. And it, it was kind of, you think about the time where, where, where glam rock was happening and, and the country needed something like that. Then that was kind of taken out of the way for a while uh, in, in the 80s uh, with some more flamboyance, but, like, it was in a different sort of way. Uh, grunge obviously killed off uh, hair metal, and uh, kind of it's always always been cyclical, almost this, this sort of yep. uh, it's, it's back and forth. And uh, then obviously emo came along in two thousand five, and uh, I, I made th- thought, t- took things that have been quite straight up in metal and, and, and punk and stuff, and, and made it mm. into a flamboyant, like you know, ridiculous show. Like and took a load of elements again from Britpop and from seventies rock, and it, was mixing that up in it as well, especially Mike Chemical Romance and bands like that, you know. Um, makeup and and and, uh, and theatricality. So I think that's a similar thing, isn't it? Like that's, that's kind of it. Kind of goes around in a big circle. Would you say? Yeah, it does. But I, I mean, this is something I was going to say to you. Actually, is you know, I'm sure you're aware that your band get compared to AFI and My Chemical Romance a fair bit. But I don't think people can say that now. I mean, if they are, would... they're just they're just sort of looking at you know, haircuts and T-shirts maybe that you wear off. I mean, I don't really think there's, on this particular record, I mean, certainly AFI have never done anything kind of close. And I know Davey is obviously a massive fan of Robert Smith and, you know, kind of British music for sure. But I don't think there's any AFI albums that really draw from this particular strand of music that you're drawing from on this record. It's weird. I always felt like those comparisons were like, kind of apt a little in the beginning, I think. Uh, but I felt like over time, like it, I, I, I ended up getting incredibly frustrated with that. Uh, I'm sure. And yeah. I, it, like I, I used to feel, I felt like kept feeling like I was living in someone's shadow the entire time. And uh, I also felt it was a little bit unfair because, but this mm-hmm. is, of course, I'm going to feel like that. I'm the person making the the, the art and the music that that, you, that you're talking about when when people say those things. But. Uh, uh, people used to say to us, oh, like the, 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 you know, within the same breath, they'd say, you, you sound just like Alkaline Trio. And then they'd go, oh, you sound just like AFI. And then they'd go, oh, you sound just like My Chemical Romance. Three bands that sound nothing like one another. 
Uh, only notable similarities come from that the singers wear eyeliner. And I was like, uh, so I, I, at first I took it as a real compliment. It was really nice because I loved all those bands. All those bands are yeah. wonderful and really big parts of my childhood and uh, still some of my favorite bands to this day. But I was like, I just felt like it was like lazy a little, uh, like, like towards the end anyway. Uh, especially when we were doing the things we were doing with our live shows and things. That was so not the same as, uh, as the bands I've just mentioned. They were different, different things, different theatrics. Certainly was similar in that we all those bands like theatrics, I suppose. But it, it, it became frustrating it, by the end of it. I was like, yeah, there's parts of this. I can, I can see where you're coming from, 100%. I'm not trying to pretend that um, anything I've done is uh, 100% uh, unique. Well, I'm, I'm certainly pastiching and, and, uh, and magpieing from a lot of different stuff and trying to, to make something of, uh, of my own in between. But by the end of it, like, I got to the point where I was like, please don't mention my chemical romance to me in an interview again. Like, I feel like I spent, when they came back, I spent more time talking about their band than I did in my own. And I was like, mm-hmm. I love that band and I'll, I'll be at those shows. They, 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 they're a fantastic band, one of my favourites, one of the biggest bands in the world. Love them. But like, it just got to the point where I was like, please stop asking me. I don't know anything about, like, you know, I, I met Frank a couple of times. He's lovely. He's a really nice guy. That's as yeah. far as my involvement in, in their career goes. I have nothing to, to add to it. I can tell you about going to see them back in 2005, if you like, because I had a great time. <laughs> it was really fun. And, 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 you know, really, really liked their band, really respect them. Massive influence uh, on, on me as a, as, a, as a young man, 100%. But, like, I don't know. Like, if you've come to ask me about my record and, and, and then people were, like, you know, that's what was, been, was happening towards the end of the, of the, the last campaign. People come to ask me about the record and then talking to me about my chemical romance. Do you think they'll ever get back together? And it's like, I don't know why you've asked me that. Like, is it because I'm sat here wearing eyeliner? Uh, I, you know? I, I, I find it kind of frustrating. It must be really frustrating for you, but I find it kind of frustrating when people throw out these, um, what they think are good, imp- good kind of comparisons for bands, which to me just shows they don't listen to a lot of music. I think the best the best music and the reason why i like the new creeper record so much is because it feels to me like a bigger composite of like you say magpieing a wider variety of things if your frame of reference is really wide you make more interesting music if you're listening to t-rex and tom waits and typo negative and you're thinking about kind of kayfabe and the blair witch project you're probably going to make more interesting music than somebody who just listens to no effects and makes a bandies or or whatever do you know what i mean and i think a lot of people don't listen to enough music to be able to pick those things out and i th- and I, I can understand why that'd be quite frustrating and I, I find it you know i find it frustrating when we talk about bands like when i talk about the code orange album and i go it sounds like clipping and jpeg mafia and atari teenage riot and some dopey metalhead goes, it just sounds like Marilyn Manson. And you go, well, <laughs> you just listened to Marilyn Manson. That's why you think that. Um, so I can it reminds, it reminds me of that. It. Have you ever seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? You ever seen that yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's, that, that's, that's so good. Uh, there's that one, there's that great bit uh, where Garth Marenghi talks about, he says, you know, I, I'm quite famously uh, the one writer who's written more books than he's read. And... Uh, and I feel like that's, that's, that's yeah. it's really after some of this because it's like it's funny, uh, like you say. Um, just I, I feel like sometimes people just 
like like are after one thing. They grew up one thing, and they want you to give them one thing. And it was like mm. all it's quite difficult to kind of live in the shadow of, of a band where people are going, well, they're the next My Chemical Romance. And I was like, mm. that's a really difficult thing to for you to say to me. Obviously, I appreciate what you're trying to say. I think there's a compliment in there, but like that's also mm. like it's also like you're asking me to fill the shoes of something that was so important to so many people that like was of its time was like. Uh, was was timed perfectly and and, and, and this records just happened really organically and naturally and I was like yeah. I'm I'm just out here doing what I've always done like this, I'm just making these theatrical releases and uh, so yeah this this next one like that that was in part of the decision to completely rebuild was well let's show everybody what else we can do like we're not a one trick pony here like yeah like we we we're from goth punk but like I I played in different types of bands all, all growing up I, like I I, I Spent my whole life listening to lots of different sorts of music. Wouldn't it be cool if we could make something that they, that our kids and our audience trusted us enough with as as like a as a group of people that we that they, they that even if they're not familiar with those reference points, even if they, they'd never listened to, to Tom Waits, you know, like like mm. if they'd follow you down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and 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 uh, and, and follow along with you and, and and take notice of what's going on and trust you a bit because they might find another band now from listening to this record, they'll go, holy yeah. fucking shit, these suede records are amazing. Oh my God, like this is music for me, you know? Like, yeah. and, I, and that's, how, that's how this all works. That's how I got into, into loads of other bands growing up. So that was always the, uh, yeah, the thing. And um, it's cool, like this record's like so, such a, uh, you know, such a, a different type of record. And I remember thinking at the time, after ignoring and running all the stop signs that everyone kept putting up in front of us going, You've got to stop, guys. You've got to stop. You, you, we're good at alienate everybody. We're gonna like, and, and I remember thinking, no, like these, these people are smarter than you're giving them credit for. Like that, that we, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep seeing this through. Oh, you're like, oh god! So we're gonna lose the logo, and you're gonna completely change the sound. I was like, yeah, like we, we've got to. Like we're we're stagnant right now. We, we, we're we like this act is tired. Like it's it's uh, we're turning up the festivals, and loads of people are showing up to see us, which is amazing. But like. They've all seen the show before. They know what to expect. They know how, you know, they know what's happening behind the curtain at this point. They know, uh, you know, they're in on, they're in on the gimmick, you know. Um, mm. They're like, they, to use a wrestling term, uh, but like they, they, they know how, how the sausage is made at this point. So we yeah. need to come back with a new sausage. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that was the idea. But then it was like, the problem was, Steve, the hardest thing was getting out there and going, right, kill the band off. Great. Everything's fine what the fuck do we do now? Like, how do we, like, we've never written Britpop before. I've never written that before. Like, I know, I know, like, I like, you know, I know all about the music, the, 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 the genre, like, uh, and there's loads of different types of Britpop that, that aren't the same as each other. You know, pulp do a completely different thing to Suede, to do, do a diff completely different thing to Oasis, who do a completely different thing to Blur, uh, you know, like the big four there. Uh, mm. But how do you sit down and write this? And so I sat at a piano for ages trying to work out how to write, um, a chorus like like we we ended up the the, the thing we ended up with was Anna, the Annabelle chorus that kind of big the big R's and stuff and uh, yeah. realizing that Hannah can sing just so high and I was just like oh, this is perfect was <laughs> anything's going to sound good with that uh, so but working all that out like literally having to learn like a completely different uh, way of songwriting a completely different like con like schooling and and, and uh, technique and, and how we approach that. That's why it took so long, because we didn't know how to write a song like Paradise, like, at the beginning. It was like, we'd come from writing four-chord fast punk songs with, like, dramatic parts, and, and that were, like, for the most part, like, fairly simple in terms of that. Like, I'm not diminishing that what we made. I was really proud of it. I still really am. Uh, yeah. But trying to go to this next 
place to, to try and take the record to somewhere that was like gonna really turn heads and and I was like at the very least you know like, we'll leave this campaign like in, in, in a week a week tomorrow a week tomorrow Steve, this record comes out and I guarantee no one's putting a record like this out next week other than us like, <laughs> like the, no. it's a weird record it opens with Patricia Vanian talking in a, in a voice of like Madame Leota from the Haunted Mansion you know like it's, it's bonkers it's a crazy record but I'd much rather be behind the wheel of that record than behind the wheel of a safer one that sounded just like a more manicured version of our old songs, which is what people were trying to get us to do uh, mm. originally. And they were like, mm. going, they, they, they were terrified about us doing this at, at first. But Ian Dickinson, who you know uh, well, uh, like, uh, uh, who's our manager, um, for those listening, um, really believed in, in, in me and in, in, in the vision for it and in the band, uh, supported us all along the way. And the record label really got it by the end of it, especially when we made Cyanide was the one they really, they really got. Uh, but it took us a while. Cause how do you how do you write it? How what do you do? What do, what do I do as a punk singer who's used to like shouting for half the song, then bursting into a chorus, and then shouting it? You know, like kind of yelping in, in like in, in a melody. Like uh, we had to learn a, a different type of singing, a different type type of playing, different sort of instruments to use. Dan used like a vintage kit on certain songs and things. So and Hannah had the, I remember I was trying to work out the beginning of that Annabelle song, trying to work that out. We've written the whole song. But the intro, I was like, oh, God, I want to I wanna do the suede homage, uh, but we just couldn't get it right. It was either, like, or, it was either too close or, or, or too far away. And we sat there, just that little clip at the beginning, just looped and looped. I felt, I felt like we sat there for, like, three hours, just going over <laughs> and over again. Hannah's on a, ki- on a synth, Ian's playing an arpeggio thing, just trying to learn the discipline uh, of, yeah. of, of that style of songwriting and, and what comes along with that, which we'd never done before. So, yeah, it was a weird, <laughs> weird record to make. It was good fun. Also, it was you know aside from all of the drama that came along with it, um, the uh, the actual crea- creation of it all and, and kind of dreaming this stuff up was amazing. I think it's starting to hit me now a little bit that people are actually going to hear. It, obviously, uh, you know uh, the record at this point as well. Uh, they're about to hear that um, second act, which is um, some of the more challenging things. I think uh, the For kind sure. of the, uh, the which I think people are either going to really gravitate toward or, 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 or is going to turn them off, I think. But uh, yeah. it's interesting. That, isn't that, that's, I put that tweet out earlier on. That's, that's the fun of all this. Like, it's, isn't it better to be, to be doing that than to doing a pop-punk record, another pop-punk record in 2020? Mm. Isn't that, you know, like... Well, mate, I, I mean, I was going to bring up the tweet that you, you put. I mean, I feel like you're kind of... You're giving people ample warning that this record is not going to be something that they're going to be getting from anyone else. And... You know, you hear bands say that stuff all the time. Like, bands do say that kind of thing all the time. But, I mean, if you haven't heard the record yet and you're watching this and you're going, yeah, 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 it's just another band saying that. I think, you know, I mean, particularly for the scene that you have been, maybe not the scene you came from, but certainly the scene that you've existed in in the last couple of years. Definitely, bands don't take those these sort of risks. You know, with all due respect to the kind of, slam dunk warp tour scene of bands um they just don't take these type of risks and i think that you know you've whether people turn around and go man you know what i fucking hate suede and i hate all this 90s crap (laughs) and uh, you know he's doing he's doing 1950s doo-wop at the end and i'm not down (laughs) with it like I'm, i'm out you can't you've got to respect the fact that you guys have have really tried to go you know, sharp left on this record. I think you have to. I think, and I think, I think your fans will as well. I think they'll at least appreciate that. 
Well, thanks, man. This is this is the thing. Where, like the the, the the funniest thing about all this, that, and like, the most hilarious thing is that like, and the reason I think that you don't see this sort of thing happen more often, because um, I think people are, are like, you don't end up in a band that's like doing something unless you're like one of those trend hop the, the, the trend hoppers that's jump onto mm-hmm. the thing that's that's going all right, you know. But you don't start what like you know you don't you don't get. Uh, opportunities to do things if like you're not creative in the first place because people don't believe in those people you know they're really you can see through them they're like they're, they're fakes and you can see it straight away like it's so obvious like you've, you've seen them yourself like a million times on stages you you look through it straight away and go okay um but like i, I feel like what happens is like you get to a certain point where like the jump that i made where it became like my livelihood as well as like my hobby in my life um, and it uh, that that you if, if you don't succeed you go, you have to work out what you're going to do, you know, like, so people, yeah. I think that's what happens, you get to a certain point where you get very comfortable, you're so hungry when you first start, man, you're so hungry, you're like, oh, I just want to get out and, and play, I want I want to just go and, and tour, I no, never want to stop, and as time goes on, uh, like, you know, the, the the things that come to you, and the, the things you're lucky enough to, to achieve, and things, people, I think, I think that what happens with a lot of people is it becomes second nature, and then they don't want to lose that, so they start trying mm-hmm. to make a safe, safe decisions, and or, or if they are doing experimental ones, it's for a reason to get more poppy. Which I guess you mm. could argue this record is, is is poppier than our last. It certainly is. But like, I just felt like I'd much rather just approach it as if none of this was happening. None of this happened. Imagine this is the first Creeper record, and like, what do I think is cool? What 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 would be cool to listen to? What would I pick up and go? Fuck, that's really rad. What a weird band. This is so weird. Like, um, and I'd rather play it fast than lose. And like, if we lose it all, in the same way that we've we've said from the beginning, if we lose it all based on, I, I think a creative gamble, that's backed up by like, um, by like a bunch of ideas and being creative guys from the very very beginning, from when we first started our first band, like wanting to make movies and wanting to fuse it all together. I'd much rather die on that hill. Then, like fucking, yeah. then in three years' time, still playing like the things that I didn't really believe anymore, and I was like, what I was saying to you earlier on about the Callous Heart. Like, we still play those songs now, and we'll be stoked to play them because we're playing them in amongst a new music that's also exciting, and and, and you know, so is, is it they're different? But like, how you don't want to see me in in, in five years' time wearing a Callous Heart jacket on stage? It sours what we did before, and much mm-hmm. in the same way, you don't want to see me. In the sheer amount of makeup I have to fucking wear for this project, I've, my girlfriend does. Uh, you don't want to see me wearing that in five years' time. You want to see something else. And um, people have this tendency to always prefer the thing you've done before. Every, every time. It's happened already to us. It happened when we did our second EP. I prefer the first one. Then we did the third EP, and they go, prefer the, prefer the second one. The second one was lots better. Did the album, and, and the kids go, God, none of this is anywhere near as good as the EPs. And then I guarantee... This time next week, when, it, when it's about to come out, it will come out and people will go, God, I, I much prefer that album, that first album. And, and this is what they do. And they do it every time. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, where it comes from. I don't know whether I was guilty of it when I was younger either. But like, you just kind of have to not care. And, and I just feel like, I felt like a, a disenchantment with a lot of the um, kind of, some of the, the, the scenes that we've been associated with. Not because I haven't got amazing friends there. Not because I don't think there are talented people there. I just felt like there was like a glass ceiling with cre- in terms of creativity, and I felt mm. like that shouldn't always be something that you're, you're, you're chasing, like chasing something else. And that you, you know as well, what the cool thing about this is, if people like this record, if that actually happens, then it encourages us to go 
but even more ridiculous for this next one. We were not going to repeat yeah. this again. This, this, no. it, we're just going to get a different box out, you know, and go, okay, so what are we going to do now? Let's sit down. And, and, and that's the thing. By encouraging artists to, to take these chances when they do them, like the way that Code Orange did, you know, like how two record, those two last two records, they've made incredible creative leaps in, in both of those for the whole genre. Uh, yeah. and, and I think by supporting that and, and, and applauding that, um, I really like those records, but I know what you're saying. There are people that don't get those things that they've done, but I've, mm. I've got a lot of respect for Code Orange. I thought they've always been ahead of everybody else, um, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, just, that's just me. Um, and they, they, you know, they, they, they don't, they never fit in with the bands they're lumped with because they're always the odd one. Um, and yeah. I see a lot of, I, it's weird because we don't play the same music at all. We never play, we never, we never play together. We never met. But I see us as very similar people. We're kind of wrestling folks, you know, like uh, <laughs> both, both kind of people like always, I had this story about them, which I thought was so fucking cool. I don't know if you ever heard this before, but I had a story that when they signed to Roadrunner, they wanted to, to Roadrunner to start um, a Roadrunner Black. Uh, so that they could do Roadrunner Red and Roadrunner Black, like NWO, and they would be on Roadrunner Black, and it would be like, and, and I was like, how clever is that? Like, that's so smart. That would have been such a cool thing to come out with. So I, every time I hear something about those guys and what they're doing, I just applaud it, and I think when you get behind a band like that, you can just expect, it only rewards you as, as a listener, because yeah. then you're going to get something wild and, out, and outlandish and, uh, for, the, for the next thing. What are they going to do next? I can't even imagine it's going to be, but it'll be something essential, you know, that's the thing, mm-hmm. rather than just another, another band, it's going to be something really fantastic, and that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I think if people get behind this record, and you do well from it, and I really think you, you should do, and I think there'll be people who will either not have been aware of you, that will hear you and go, this band are great, who you might not have even thought two years ago could be potential fans or whatever, but it gives you carte blanche then to go, see, we are right. We're, we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, Code Orange is a great shout. And I, and I do see the similarities between you two guys because it doesn't appear to be any kind of compromise as to what you want to do. I mean, I was, sorry to name drop, but I was talking to Barney from Napalm Death yesterday. Again, somebody oh, cool. who is not going to compromise for anyone at any point. And he said something brilliant. He, was, he said to me, he was like, people want to see you they don't want to see an approximation of you because he was talking about bands doing this kind of this run where they do album tour album cycle album and they do the same thing over and over until it just becomes a kind of xerox of the same thing and heavy music now and punk and whatever you know it is an established form it is an established formula that that so many bands are just rigidly clinging to and you don't have to reinvent the genre and take, you know, entirely new things. You can take fucking like, you can take suede and the lightning seeds and no one's touched that in punk rock ever. And, you know, and no one's tried to kind of meld that with, you know, Phil Spector and Americana. And just that as an idea, as I say it, as it comes, like I, I know what it sounds like. So I know that it sounds good, but even without (laughs) like putting it next to your record, I can go, God, that's a really good idea. It's just a good idea that no one else has done before. And there's millions of those ideas just sitting there for everyone to be, you know, siphoning up if, if they really, really thought about it. And I just, I'm not sure that people do think enough in that way. And that's why I, I feel like, like I, yourselves are, you know, we've got to kind of wrap you in cotton wool a little bit, Will, to be honest. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I just, I, I just get so excited about 
fans. And I've always loved chatting to you because you get so excited and riled up as well. And you're so passionate about things. And uh, yeah, like, obviously, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Steve used to play in bands when he was younger too. And, uh, uh, you know, bands I saw when I was a kid from uh, back, <laughs> yeah. back, back, that, back down south. Uh, I'm, I'm in Manchester now. I don't know if you know that. But, um, yeah, I knew that. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. I was actually thinking the other day about this, how... Um, this record is like it's such a weird, old-fashioned record in so many different ways. Even though it's got quite a modern production on it, um, but a lot of the reference points are, are, are from a, a different time. But also, the, the other thing I think that stops bands being able to like uh, to really sit and think and to really, really properly evolve. Everyone says they evolve on these records, they never really do. Um, mm. But like, uh, I think the other thing that stops that is like this band was forced to take. Uh, we we, ha- we, need, we, need, we needed some time to make the record, and we also went through all that tragedy that happened. That's been well documented in the press at this point. Um, yeah. It's it's everywhere, and uh, I can understand. Uh, it, like it's, it was exhausting to talk about, and um, because it was, it was it was very terrible. But at the same time, we had a year off uh, from like our last single came out in twenty seventeen. We're in twenty twenty now when this one's coming out. How these days in this in this current climate, when um, bands are forced to sometimes release two releases a year uh, because they wanted to stay relevant and in people's eyes. AFI used to take years out before between records. You know, I think about when we were kids, like Manson doing records would take years out. Mm-hmm. These, year, these gaps in, in being able to, to work, out, work in your craft and uh, labels who used to sign career bands, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. It was, we'll stick with you at the bottom when, you, when you're struggling because I mean, we know it will pay off when you get to album five because you're going to work this out. That's how all these good bands started. I forgot Fleetwood Mac and stuff, you know, like yeah. that. Like you know, how long was it before they got to Rumours? How long was it before AFI got to their first number one Billboard, which was December Underground? You know, like that's a long way from where they started. But like you got to stick with it, exactly. Yeah, and so I feel like, but that's that's the same with a lot of bands. Like like there's this, there's no time for them to do anything anymore. Like everyone's worried mm-hmm. about losing their spot. Again, it's a wrestling term, but it's the best way I can describe it. Uh, that where they are and their level and, and their festival billing and, and their guarantee and, and if their audience is going to drop off or if they did try and do something else out there in that time they haven't got enough time to work on it anyway because they have to push on and put, release and release and release and release and I just think that that's not a very con- conductive environment to be creative in, in my opinion no. you have no. to wait for it to come you have to, to work on it you've got to like love it and and, and let it grow and, and, and to a point where you're like, okay, this is done now. I can, I can sh- I'm happy to show the world this. Rather than just have to rush through it, have 10 writers write your songs for you and, and, then, and just smash it out into the world. Like, it's like, for me, that this doesn't, that doesn't sound like a, a, very, uh, a very conducive writing environment. Um, I don't know about no. you. Like, can you imagine having no. to do that? Imagine having to like, release a song, like singles, instead of albums now. Like, that just seems mad. Like, it seems mm. a, a crazy thing. It is, and it, I mean, it drives me mad when you hear, I mean, whether it's Black Peaks or Milk Teeth or there's been great bands that have come along and they've done an album and everything's gone, oh, this is amazing. And then something's happened which has derailed them slightly and people go, that's it, they're done, they're finished. And it's like, come on, man, come on. Like, they're, they're, they're kids. Like, they've got one album out. It's insane. It's an insane thing. It, it's it's madness there. about that. A hundred percent. Like, uh, uh, but the problem is, like, we have like a, we're in a culture now where there are so many acts, there are so many bands mm. going and doing things, and so there's always someone who's going to capitalise, and, and someone not being able to play something, or like, it's a competitive, weird war zone, and uh, this is not very creative, in my opinion. Like, like yeah. I, I, I wish, I feel like we should be letting that, like you said, like you know. Um, when Will got, uh, he, he had his voice, didn't he, Will, from, from Black yeah. Peaks? Yeah. When yeah. that happened to him, like, 
like that's just the worst possible thing. Like he's what a lovely bloke Will is. I met him at the Heavy Music Awards. Just instantly magnetized towards him. Thought he was a really fantastic bloke, and but that was such a great band too. Like the idea that people would write them off because of a setback or something is just so stupid. It's just so yeah. doesn't even make any sense. And I don't know. With rock music in the state, it's in. You speak about this quite a lot uh, anyway. Um, I don't know. We we need to be nurturing this this stuff and and and. And encouraging creativity, giving people enough time to recover and providing them that platform for that when they come back, everyone's waiting and it can get, get going again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, mate, before you go, the one thing, the other thing that we haven't even touched on yet is whilst all this kind of drama was going on and while you've learned how to write basically a completely new style of music um, in the interim period, there's also what I imagine, having listened to the album quite a few times, some sort of thematic thing going on within the album i don't know how much you want to talk about that or how much you want to leave that to people's imagination um is this a continuation i mean can you say is this a continuation from you know the the characters that we have met through the creeper story before um but what, what's going on here as much as you or as little as you would like to tell me I've been speaking about it quite a lot at this point, uh, but it's like kind of a new story. Like it's, uh, it, I, like I wrote this while I was out in America years ago, back back in 2017 actually. Uh, it's where I started devising this. Um, at the end of the last one, I started working on the new one. Um, yeah. I see them like a, a series of, of books or films, um, and so this is like the new film. Um, and it's unsur- you know it's kind of unsurprising that this one would be so so different from my last. But in the same way, filmmakers' films would be different as well. You know, different characters mm-hmm. deserve a different. Um, there's the, the, like the, and different stories deserve a different soundtrack, you know. Um, and the way it looks in, dress, in dresses should be as different as well. But this is about um, uh, our, la- our last record was 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 based in Southampton, which 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 it was, um, and the, the stories and the, the characters were based around making that more fantastic and 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 less grey and 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 dull. <laughs> um, this that was that was that that was a record that was about where we came from, and this record kind of talks about where we've been since, which is. Traveling America, mostly we were, we toured America like nonstop. We did uh, tours with Net Deep, with Tiger Army. We're, we're on the Warped Tour. We just there for like loads and loads of stuff. Um, so we so we were there an awful lot of, amount of time. So we spent so much time there. I was like, this record needs to should be. That's how it should be the American record. And uh, so I started thinking about. I was reading a book at the time called K Pax. Um, lots of these ideas always come from literature, not m- more often than not. Yeah, yeah. Um, K-Pax was made into a film uh, with Kevin Spacey, which is terrible. Don't watch it. Um, but the book's great. And yeah. uh, the, the, the book, the book is... Say, you're not going to get many people watching that film. No, it's... Oh, I mean, he's, <laughs> wait, wait, well, he's, he's, a, he's a, uh, a terrible man, isn't he? Uh, but he's, yeah. he's, also, he's also not very good in that film as, a, as an actor anyway, so, so don't, don't worry. Um, you're not yeah. missing much. Uh, so, yeah, the... Uh, but the, but the story like like kind of hinges uh, around a man who claims to be from another world, and they, they look him in a like a, a psychiatric unit and try to evaluate him and think think he's got a mental condition. And it's kind of a is he or isn't he from this other world? And, and I was like, oh. okay, that's interesting. Like uh, playing with tropes from um, you know like kind of the man who fell to earth has been a classic rock and roll trope for years. David Bowie, Marilyn yeah. Manson, you know the people have done this uh, like, but no one done it in recent memory. And so I thought about trying to reinvent and, and, and do our own version of something like that. So what I came up with was this, uh, uh, it was based on a bunch of um, religious stuff that I learned when I went to Catholic school as a kid. And um, it, was a, it was about a town that has seven families that, live, that, that lives in sin, basically. Seven, seven deadly sins, seven families for each one of the seven deadly sins. And one day a, a boy claims to be uh, an angel with a prophecy 
is found in a mine um, called Ro. And he says, I'm here with this, this message to, to tell you that in seven days, the world, as you know, it will, will end. And, um, and he said, I'll, I'll, and on that seventh day, I'm going to return to whence I came, and, and, and your world, as you know, it will end. And so across the course of that week, um, Ro doesn't realize, but uh, he falls in love with, uh, with, a, with a human being and begins displaying signs of human emotion for the first time. He learns how to feel and, and learns what it is to sin uh, because this girl is engaged to Buddy Calvary, the, um, the, richest, uh, the richest family in town. And uh, yeah, so, so it all kicks off. And then over the course of this, this week, uh, a, a lot happens to, to, to this character, learns how to be a human being, kind of humanizes him and, and helps him to feel. And uh, the two of them, on the seventh day, uh, Roe and Annabelle um, uh, are, are in pursuit by Buddy Calvary as they climb St. Peter's Mountain to, uh, to, to, for the world to end as they know it and um, him to return to whence he came. When he meets, he meets him at the top, uh, Buddy, like her fiancé is at the top, and shoots him with a pistol through the heart and, um, and kills the boy. Um, so you never find out where he was from. But the townspeople see this as, uh, as, as too much and, and then end up repenting their sins and, uh, and their world as they know it is never the same again. So it's a classic Bible story. It draws on lots of classic fairy tales. Uh, it's, it's, it's apocalyptic romance. It is uh, sci-fi mixed with kind of like, a, a, I don't know, a lot, a, lot of, um, a lot of things that were going on in, in my real life at the time too, but like not at the time I wrote the story, really enough. It was, it was kind of a few years before, um, before uh, you know, the, the religious stuff with Ian Miles happened. Um, if you've not listened to the podcast right now, I hope you don't mind me giving a shout out on, 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 no, on no, there. No, not um, Giles Bitter did a fantastic podcast about, um, about the creation of this record called uh, uh, Creeper, the true story of sex, death and the infinite void. And it was, it's, it was something I was quite hesitant about doing at first. Um, uh, like, because there's so much, like, there's a real darkness to this record that no one's really know, known about. And we've read, we, it's been hinted at in the press, but like, Giles basically was an old friend of ours who played in a band called Great Cynics. So you might have seen a few times, I imagine, um, at some point or another. I remember the name slightly, yeah, I do. Very, very cool band. Um, we've been friends with him for years. Anyway, he was interviewing me for one of his podcasts, and he briefly asked me about the album, and I told him a small detail. And he called me up a few days later and asked if he could uh, make this series. And I, didn't, I, I wasn't very sure about it, because it's... Um, I wasn't even sure if he was going to believe some of the stuff that happened. Uh, and in the end, he, uh, like I, I, I said yes, but in my head I was I wouldn't really tell him everything. But he researched and interviewed, he interviewed me uh, extensively for hours and hours and hours over multiple weeks and days. And, uh, and Ian Miles uh, in a similar sort of amount. And um, Zandy Barry, our producer, Ian Dickinson, our, our manager, Hannah Greenwood from the band as well. There's, there's a bunch of us involved in it and, um, and people from the record label and stuff as well like who tell this story. Um, and Ian Miles is very, very candid and very, very honest about it. So it, it kind of tells some of the truths and... Uh, it's, it's, it's been a really difficult moment for us. If you're, you're interested, if, if anyone listening is interested in the way a record gets made, or especially at like um, with what we've done um, in particular, or uh, and the stresses of what being in the music industry does to you, um, I'd recommend listening to it. It's part one uh, was out on this Monday has gone, I believe. If this is coming out next week, the second one may be up by now, which is um, when Ian begins talking, and uh, this is when the real it, it comes. It should come with a big trigger warning, by the way, uh, for, for, for mental health. Uh, it's uh, it's it's about to get quite heavy now as the weeks go on, and um, it's five episodes in total. But it's, I think it's important, and Ian decided to talk about it because he wanted to normalise the discussion of mental health and the things that um, yeah. have happened to him. 
so I'm very proud of him. Uh, yeah, so like the our story kind of yeah, a emulates theme. a lot of a lot of these themes as well. Like a lot of uh, like the, the the records in terms of like your subconscious, if you understand. Uh, you know, I was in love with somebody as well at the time I was writing this. So it's, there's a lot of romance in the lyrics from that. But like, uh, you can see our story if you if you start learning a little bit more about our real lives and what was going on behind the scenes, you can see how the story makes sense um, and, uh, and 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 how uh, I wrote that story years before this all happened uh, and how kind of life has imitated art quite substantially and it's very strange it's a creepy <laughs> sounds like a, i'm trying to make a pun there it's a creepy thing but it, it's a it's a, it's an unusual thing it's an unusual thing um but i mean after all this mate you have you have a very very good record a very very good record to um to show for it all i'm going to get the vinyl i hope you know, I'm not affected. My house ain't going to burn down if I buy the vinyl. And be affected <laughs> well, I, I, I'll show you. I, one sec. Um, He's gone. I've got a copy here, and my house is oh, still yeah. standing right now um, right, for the time cool. being. But I have been concerned about this, this entering my home uh, mm. because I know the damage. And, like, uh, so we, we tried to do this cover, like, like when I found Hunky Dory for the first time in my dad's record collection. Yeah. I wanted it to look, like, weathered. Um, yeah. But now it's turned up. It feels like a relic from the past, uh, and uh, I, I'm kind of concerned. It's like it's like having one of Tutankhamun's kind of artifacts. You know, they stole them. Everyone <laughs> had one of those. And I, it kind of scares me that it's actually here in the in, in, in a, printed in front of me now. <laughs> well, mate, worth the risk. I'm going to get it anyway. It's worth the risk, dude. Um, it's lovely speaking to you, man. Um, and I hope I get to see you soon. I mean, I know you're going to be doing some shows. God willing, fingers crossed. Um, so I hope to be able to get it down to one of them and, um, you know, good luck with the record. I think it's great, like really, really great. And it's good to hear something sort of genuinely different, um, from the, the millions and millions of records that I get sent every week. So I'm very happy and, uh, it's been lovely chatting to you, mate. Send all my love to the other creeper crew and, um, we'll hopefully see you soon, man. Thanks for talking to us. Steve, you're one of my favourite people to talk to uh, over the years. I feel, <laughs> we, I, feel like, I feel like we've always really understood each other quite well as well. And so it, um, it means a lot to me that you sat and listened to the record and took it in. And there's, there's positive influences. It's so funny how accurate, after all this time of knowing you now, like still how accurate you can kind of see through me and you, and you see, see what we're doing very well. You can see the workings of this stuff. And I appreciate that, though, because that, that shows that someone really listens. And, and, you know, that's the thing you worry about the most when you're making these things. Well, no one cares this time. No, no one listens. And so... Yeah. I appreciate you very much, Steve. Thank you for having me on. I'm sorry, I was an hour late, everybody, for everyone listening as well. So, um, uh, Steve was yeah, very patient. But, <laughs> I, I, but, to be fair, then I also cut off the, the call as well. So <laughs> yes. It's, it's, been a, it's been a disaster, basically, on both of our parts. It's, again, the curse of the, curse of the new crew. I mean, strikes again. I mean, if this is the worst thing that's going to happen, then I'll definitely take it. I hope that Yeah, I, I, I think this is the worst thing. You're safe now. You know, that, that you'll be all right now. Uh, that's cool. All right, mate. It's been um, it's been a joy and a delight, and I hopefully we'll see you soon. Cheers for chatting to us, Will. See you soon. No problem, man. Thank you.